89.9 The Light. This is In Community Conversation with Clayton. It is wonderful to have your company this evening. You can text through at any stage with your question for any of our guests. 0428 899 899. And joining me on Skype, although uh, often when we sort of chat to somebody on Skype, they're overseas in another country. And, well, this man has an accent. He's not too far away, based in Melbourne at the moment. Dr Rob Lowe joins us. G'day, Rob. It's lovely to be with you. It's great to have a chat to you. Now, you know, we, we're noticing that UK accent, so it could have been that we were chatting to you over there, but uh, you, you moved out to Melbourne, is that correct? Yeah, I've been here for four weeks now, two of those in quarantine in the centre of the city, which were pretty special times. I'd reckon. Now, now I believe that the whole journey out here is actually quite a, an incredible story, so I, I might start with that in just a, a tick, but... Perhaps just to help us frame uh, what we're going to be talking about today, we, we're talking very much about schooling, about how our parents can understand and help their kids with schooling as well. Mm. Can you give us a bit of a, the background of uh, some of the work that you've been doing with schools and, and the specialties that you've been working about uh, as well over many years? Yeah, of course. So, um, yeah, my background is in teaching. Um, I studied education policy at Cambridge University in the late 90s. Um, and I was going to do a, a doctorate, but I turned it down, much to the horror of the professor in front of me, because <laughs> I, I, t- I told him that that I really didn't think that teachers should be told how to be teachers and by people who hadn't been one, even, you know, you know, <laughs> respecting the individual in front of me. And I just really wanted to be a teacher. And I was an, I became an English teacher. I taught English drama, film and media studies. I was an assistant principal of a large college um, in the east of England. Um, until uh, in 2013, um, when I met a, a Christian, um, uh, a, a really great man who was talking about the importance of relationships to, to organisational health, to, to public health. Um, and uh, and he said, well, he described all sorts of amazing work that they'd conducted over the past 25 years. Um, perhaps the, you know, some of the great stuff in the mid-90s, we did a, an amazing project in Scottish prisons. Um, measuring the quality of relationships between prisoners and guards. And that prison in northwest Glasgow is still the only prison in Scotland where prisoners and staff eat communally every day together safely. It was that impactful. Wow. And they'd they'd done they'd done research and work in in peace building contexts, um, work in healthcare contexts that they still do today. The foundation, um, and the guy made this throwaway comment at the end. He said, uh, "But we've never done anything in schools. We've never found anybody to do that for us." And I ran up to him afterwards, and and a year later, I'd given up my perfectly secure job without the promise of a first year salary. And that was seven years ago. We went to launch relational schools project, which took that that specialism, that unique ability to measure human relationships. I studied a doctorate in it. I went back to study. Um, and we went from working in one little school in Cambridgeshire with 20 students um, to, to now working across the world. Um, and the majority of our work has been here in Australia with tens of thousands of children. Um, and, and we've learned some amazing, wonderful things, which hopefully we'll, we'll get to over the, over the next hour. Um, and one of, our, uh, one of our principal clients through the foundation was uh, Christian Schools Australia. Um, but before Christmas, um, there was an opportunity to come and work uh, more directly with them. And if I'm honest, um, although I've enjoyed running a, a research charity foundation, I've really, really missed being in schools with teachers and students, and I couldn't turn it down. So here we are uh, with my family, Two children, and 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 yeah, I would say loving being in Melbourne. Um, would I advise um, you know emigrating during the middle of a global pandemic? Probably not. Um, are, are we glad to be here? 
Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Well, we are going to talk a whole lot more about that, including, you know, I'm going to ask the question a bit later on, how do you measure relationships, which I, I find yes. fascinating a concept. So uh, let's just quickly sit on, on this moment of, as you said, emigrating out uh, during the middle of a, a pandemic. I know that um, it was strenuous for you and the family and the kids. Could you take us through a, a little bit of what your journey has been? Um, you know, often we're sort of, you know, whinging about the fact that we can't get out uh, further than a few suburbs to go for a walk. But I, I think hearing a story like yours puts it a bit more into perspective. Indeed. So um, to give you a sense of it, um, we were very much looking forward to moving here, not least for our children who um, began online learning again this week. They're, um, they're eight and 11 um, and they've been doing online learning for 18 weeks straight. Um, so you can imagine that fatigued doesn't even begin to describe, um, yeah, how they're coping with it at the moment. So we were really looking forward to moving out uh, to a country which had largely kept on top of, of COVID-19 for, for such a long period. And we were really encouraged by that. Um, and But we've been locked down in the UK um, since uh, early March. Um, and we've had these kinds of stage three restrictions throughout. Um, it's only now that we've left that they've been been lifted over there. And turning on your television and your radio every day to a thousand plus deaths a day mm. yeah. um, is extraordinarily sobering. Um, and whilst Victorians um, will be um, concerned naturally about the rates of infection here, um, um, they they are nonetheless um, seem to be flattening and and under some kind of kind of control, which is which is fantastic. Um, so we left that. We didn't even know where we could leave that. And to give you a sense of how amazing it is we're here, I mean, even on the day we we took off, it was quite a feat even taking off. There were only forty one people on the plane. Oh, there were so few. There were so few on the plane. Um, they they made us all sit at the rear of the plane because the nose wouldn't take off the <laughs> runway if we weren't all balancing the cargo underneath. Um, and even at the point where we're hovering over Melbourne airspace, there was a there was a discussion being had um, by Premier and locals about whether they should be diverting traffic away from Melbourne. But we landed, we went into quarantine, we did that very well and safely. But even now, we know people moving with the same removal firm uh, who are being told they can't, they can't come here till at least January. So this is this is this is a we cannot believe we're here really um, and by God's grace we are um, and um, so we did our two weeks time as it were um, we had a couple of days out and about of uh, fifteen minutes of exercise in the yard but the rest of it was done behind closed doors and the kids the kids did very well um, and um, yeah it's a it's a good time um, to spend by yourselves and reflecting um, in fact actually the word the, the word quarantine itself. Um, uh, comes from the, the, the Italian word quarantagione, which literally means 40 days of space. Okay. And it reminds us, I think, of, you know, Jesus's time in the desert, of having that period away of reflecting, of thinking about how you do things differently. And we've, we've certainly had that time. We were ready to come out of it, if I'm honest. Um, but we are where we are and we're making, we're making the best of it uh, and yeah. uh, my my guess is that the kids are probably very ready to get out of quarantine and then you know here we are back into a, a lockdown again that must have been just uh, you know awful for them in that regard indeed because what they're craving um as most children 
naturally are is the company um, of other of peers. Most children psychologically begin to move away from adults and towards that peer group between the ages of nine and 10 as they move to early adolescence. And we noticed that with our eldest, you know, she had started to build that really rich group of friends um, at school and it was a difficult time to pull her from that. But we told her, look, don't, oh, don't worry. You know, we're gonna go, you're gonna be in a class again. You've not had that, this is gonna be amazing. And of course, the first time she's met her new classmates has been on on her Zoom on Friday and, and, that's, and that's how it must be. And um, so, yeah, we're praying for a, a time when we can get back to some sort of normality, but, but this is an important step that we stay at home right now. So we're, we're, we're trying to lead the way and, 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 and explain to people, you know, in the UK today, just alone today, 183 people died yeah. um, it, just in England today. So, so it's still really bad there. And what we're doing here is right. So yeah. we're, we're, we're trying to lead, lead on that. Yeah. Incredible stuff. My guess is Dr. Rob Lowe. Now, he's going to be talking specifically to us about uh, the understanding of relationships and then how it works with schools So uh, and schooling generally. So if you've got any questions for Rob, text through now, 0428 899 899. We're going to get into the meaty stuff next here on 89.9 The Light. That text number, 0428 899 899. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. This is Positive Radio, your in-community conversation with Clayton. And uh, you can text through your questions now for any of our guests this evening. 0428 899 Joining me is Dr. Rob Lowe. He's just come out from the UK, uh, done, as we've heard, his time in quarantine uh, and based now in Melbourne. has been involved for many years with Relational Schools Foundation and also is out with the uh, incredible guys at Christian Schools Australia at the moment. Um Rob, let's have a chat a little bit about something that you mentioned earlier on when uh, you talked about as you started up relation, relational schools and the work that you'd done there, um, talked about the fact that you could measure relationships. It was sort of a line that you said and it just, just mm. pinged with me. Um, what did you mean by that? So Relationships Foundation, which incubated relational school, um, has explored for many years the ways in which um, public policy um, organizational structure and individual behavior shape the relationships that influence the well-being um, of individuals and communities. We know all sorts now um, about the impact of relationships on, on both individual and community health. Um, we've known more um, since 2000 in the field of social neuroscience than we've ever done about the way that our brains affect our bodies and our bodies affect our brains. Um, so we know, for example, from the work of Stephen Cole at UCLA, um, a study in 2004 that showed that the quality of our relationships can actually turn off and on our, our gene responses to certain cancers. We know that dementia rates in over 50s, and particularly men, much lower in those men who are in really good connected um, social groupings. We know from a study of utility workers in, 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 in Northern Europe that you can predict who's going to be alive at the end of the decade based on who's in relationship um, at the beginning of it. Mm. So as a foundation, because we know this and we know that our ability to relate um, is impacted significantly by the sort of patterns we lay down in, in early schooling. So particularly um, at the age of 10 and 11, if we don't, I mean, in the UK where I come from, we, we tend to divide schooling up um, religiously into primary and secondary schooling. Where we see here, there are more examples of K to 12 schooling all through schooling, which I really like. Um, but in the UK and in here, it's true to say that if children aren't in good connected relationships by the age of 10, 11, if they don't relate well to their peers 
or to adults, they're highly unlikely to transfer successfully to secondary school, into high school. They're highly unlikely um, to go on to thrive. And they're the, the young people, unfortunately, who go on to be socially excluded for the rest of their lives. So we come to that knowing that relationships matter enormously. Um, but we also come from a perspective of trying to do something about it. So we measure and we measure in a way that other people don't. So lots of people will try and understand how well you relate to them. So a shop, for example, many of your listeners will have filled in a kind of balanced scorecard customer satisfaction survey, which which tells the store their perception, that's the customer's perception of what's going on in the store. Whereas we ask both people on both sides of that relationship how well they relate to something in the middle. This is not about like or dislike, remember, because that's not how we judge the quality of a relationship. It's not about the degree to which you like someone. It's about the degree to which you know somebody. The more you know somebody and the more context you know them in, the richer and deeper your relationship is. So we survey people from both sides. We aggregate that data. We do all sorts of really interesting things with that data. And on the macro level, when you've, when you've collected millions of lines of that data, you can start to say things about what is working in schools and, and when it's not working so well and the things you need to do differently if you're going to ensure that those young people not only are in good relationship but learn um, now how to be in better relationship so that we can begin to rebuild our communities so that they can literally go to re and co-create the, the societies in which they work um, and, 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 and live in together. And what are the key things that you've actually discovered are the, the number one sort of, um, you know, markers of great working together, great relational responses together? Are, are there things that you're seeing that are, are sort of replicating themselves in various places that always achieve sort of a high score? Absolutely. So so here, for example, in Australia, you know, we did this enormous study of primary schooling um, and, and we measured the relationships between, between young people in, in lots of different primary school um, uh, contexts. And what you find is that that there is a certain pattern. So there's some structural things, some systems things that predict whether young people are going to be isolated in school. So, for example, if you live more than one postcode away from your school, if you're somebody who commutes a long way to your school, um, if you're somebody of lower academic ability, if you come from a European migrant background um, here in Australia, um, those kinds of things are largely predictive of young people who are going to be isolated in schools. Mm. Um, and so therefore, as a as a teacher, as a senior leader, you can start thinking really intentionally about those young people, because if you it's, it's like these are what we might call predictive analytics. If you can try and predict who's going to be isolated before they even enter the school, you can think really intentionally about the way that you onboard them into your school. And secondly, we've learned some really great things about the best things to onboard children. So, for example, we've seen um, like really clearly the impact of taking young people away on camps. Um, so there was one school we worked with um, who every year take all their their grade seven students away on a camp as a as a marker of how they're going to begin this time at school, um, and and they take them away for four days. And this this was actually in the in the in the UK. They take them away for four days into the Welsh mountains, and they didn't bring them back until they were like a family. 
Um, and what we noticed, because we measured again in grade eight and grade nine, that those relationships stayed. Once you'd set them down, they stayed forever. Um, and we saw relationships that were more robust after four days than in many schools after four months. So we know that if you prioritize those types of interventions, and there are more of them as well, part of it's about school size, some of it's about class size, but there's all sorts of things you can do. And we just want to document it. And, you know, I come from a film background, so I like to make documentary film about it because I think it's the easiest way to tell the stories of people around complex data um, to try and change the way the system thinks about the most important aspect of schooling, to my mind, which is the relationships between all the stakeholders within that system. Mm. Yeah. Are you having um, to do much work with people at the start to take... Um, hey, look, what we've done here is we've taken a really personal thing, understanding relationships. We've we've created it into data. Uh, we've yes. looked at it on a grand scale, and now we're presenting it to you to say that one of the best things is to now take this grand thing and bring it back to a real sort of individual perspective as well, if you're sort of following my, my journey there. Yes, I am, um, yeah. Is, is that something that takes a lot of convincing and, and understanding for people in schools? Because I'm guessing that, you know, schools don't have – you know, well, they obviously don't have endless supplies of money and ability to say, well, we're going to individualise everything as we go through. Um, what's the, the, the natural take-up been like, or is it just absolutely desired as you, you present this to those running schools? It's, it's actually one of the most complex cells you can possibly imagine because, you know, the, the teaching profession at large is full of people who really inherently understand this stuff. It's, it's why they're in schooling in the first place. Um, and yet it's complex because you get one of two responses. You get the one that, that you suggested there, which is that we just got too much other stuff on. Um, so we, we, we recognize the importance of it, but, but I'm really sorry. We, we, we just got other priorities or, or things we need to focus on. Um, or perhaps even more challenging the people who say, yes, we totally believe in this and we do it really, really well. It's one of the key things that really makes our school tick and we're the, we're the best at it locally. And when you when you go and measure and you show the data to the people as is, what it, what it often reveals is that they're not quite as good as they thought they are. And the reason is, is because we tend, and we're in a society where we don't manage the things we don't measure. Um, and because no one's put data around these kinds of things, no one's put numbers, empirical numbers around these kinds of things, people are really, yeah, struggle with, with where to start. Um, so it's a really difficult conversation. Um, and that's why we're just trying to make our stuff as accessible as possible. Yeah. yeah. 0428 899 899. If you have any questions for Dr. Rob Lowe, my guest this evening, uh, you can ask anything about relational and schools. Where We're going to next step talk about, so how does this all, this sort of uh, understanding and research and and perspective of schooling now work in a, an environment of COVID. Rob's thoughts on that next. Uh, your questions as well on 0428 899 899 here on 89.9 The Line. In conversation with Clayton. 0428 899 899. That's the text message a number to text through your question for any of our guests this evening. Uh, and uh, we're currently speaking right now to Dr. Rob Lowe, uh, has worked with the Relationship Foundation and uh, also setting up relational schools, is out in Australia at the moment working with Christian Schools Australia. And we're talking about this remarkable 
importance of relationship as it comes to schooling and and the idea of how a, a good relationship actually helps in so many areas of life. I know, Rob, for you, it's not just about schooling. It's beyond that. But obviously, schooling is where we're focusing on today and Indeed. your background as a, a teacher as well. Um, can we now take sort of this whole perspective that we've been talking about, which is uh, a lot of the data that you've looked at, a lot of the understanding about relationships. And, and obviously, it was framed for you primarily around schools and for what people can do in schools. Um, mm. This environment right now is so different. We're, we're doing school at home. Uh, we're also uh, having, uh, you know, parents who are acting as teachers. I, I understand it's not exactly teaching. I'm, you know, uh, being married to a, a teacher myself, you know, they're not the teachers, but they're, they're, they're acting like teachers mm. at times as they're helping their kids. Um, how do we relate all of what you've learnt and, and give some real practical understanding for parents right now as, as they're going through this time? Well, so that, so let's start with with um, with parents, um, because you know clearly um, I think this has been an in, an enormous strain on them. If it, if it weren't um, hard enough to to keep down a job, um, you know, there's there's been this kind of you know there, there was a honeymoon period where people thought um, a that it would be quite fun to work from home, um, b that um, employers noticed that you know that colleagues could be um just as if not more productive um when they're at home the reality is however that that, i mean that quickly wore off as a concept because what people realized was instead of working from home um we we all found ourselves living at work um and and boundary management in particular has become extremely complex and if if and if your parents with with um with with younger children yeah managing their learning is extraordinarily um difficult you know and most international studies will tell us that um you know of, of the time spent at home just under half of parents seem to be confident to some degree in their ability to help children's learning um, obviously that increased massively if those in- individuals have been to university and um, got a degree and therefore feel more confident with the, with a mode of learning um and, and we know in particular that women have been much more um negatively impacted by this than men and most of the international studies show um something like um you know something like at least two-thirds of 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 women saying that their 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 mental health has been impacted by this 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 time and and that's compared to sort of 40 percent of children themselves so we know this has been a massive strain for parents and this isn't going to get easier so that the quicker we get on top of this the better because i think what there's what we're seeing in the uk in particular is that um well, what they've had to do now is just go back to work and do it anyway because they just couldn't carry on like this for much longer. So we know what it's like for parents to go back. We know how hard this is for them. Um, and that's why it's important that we try and crush this virus now here um, so we can get back to normality. Because the second thing you asked me was about the impact on children, which is massive because, you know, lots of schools will very naturally be thinking about content. They'll be thinking about the things they need to deliver, the tests they need to administer um, but the one thing that children really need right now um, is community. And we, I think sometimes we perhaps we don't foreground enough just the impact of being in physical contact with 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 other people. So communication theorists have looked at factors such as office geography, technology, relational intelligence that enable some people to listen more effectively. But one of the most important things that really in, improves 
um, the quality of our relationship in life is, is 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 human touch. So, for example, when two blokes come into a room, the one thing that uh, that was really strange, the first thing that happened to me when I when I got off the plane and and met someone I knew is they shook my hand, uh-uh. and I hadn't shaken anyone's hand in like six weeks. It was really odd. Um, but you know, there was this really fascinating study of. Um, as this fascinating study of a library, a children's library, um, and it was a sociological study. And what they asked the librarians to do was they asked to, they asked them to inadvertently touch a child's hand, on, and every third book that came back was was given back into the librarian. And they didn't ask them to talk about it. It was a total incidental touch. And then they took these kids off afterwards. They interviewed them about their perceptions of the library, and and nearly a hundred percent of children who had inadvertently had their hand touched by the librarian as they'd got the book back in responded far more positively at that experience of the librarian of being in the library of learning and it's those ins but they but it was incidental it was nothing and yet these things are so so important so when we say that children need to be in contact with each other it's not just something that's an aspiration um, and for those schools who are you know trying to gather people into sort of pastoral home rooms every morning some of them are doing it twice a day you know, I, you know, I just encourage them that you can't have enough of that because these kids are craving it so much at this time, and it's really important. Yeah. So, so how do we apply something like that? The 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 sort of traditional and 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 you know, sort of the understood, and then when you go through all the research, you go, well, those things are really important. Kids right now are uh, they're desiring that touch and all those sorts of things, and obviously, it's the families we want to be doing that, but. You know, we've just introduced, you know, masks and, and all sorts of things here in Melbourne now and, and keeping mm. our distance is part of the norm. So the, the, the practical things to actually now start instituting sort of on a day-to-day basis with the kids, uh, uh, is it um, actually, you no know, part of being in school is actually just making sure we hold hands while we're walking, go for a walk, or, or are there other sort of schooling-type things that we should be ensuring that we're actually doing in our home during the school time? Well, so so one of the things that's um, really important is is thinking about how we're checking in um, with young people. So, you know, whilst you know many of those kinds of because we've had to narrow that bandwidth now, you know, because we can only pick some of this stuff up online, we need to make sure that we, in that medium, open that bandwidth as much as possible. So, lots of schools. Um, will be having a policy of cameras off if they're doing Zoom, and you can understand why. Um, but we've got to find a way of checking in with students, notwithstanding that. So some of the best practice I've seen across Victoria, um, I, yeah, one one local teacher actually to us here, um, she she sends out a spreadsheet at the end of each day, um, and entitled, and the questions entitled, you know, if only my teacher knew. Um, and they're able to respond to that question in any way they, they they want. But it's her way of checking in with those individuals and finding out if anyone um, is struggling. And then she was making calls between sort of 15 minutes to hour and a half at the end of each day, making sure those children are okay. Now, that seems like a lot. And teachers who are listening to this think, well, I haven't got time for that. Well, my, my encouragement would be that, you know, I've seen some absolutely phenomenal resourcing by schools, you know, um, teaching and learning videos, you know, things that must take hours to produce. But it's these little things, these incidental things, these these moments to check in, 
to, to see those children, to have those conversations with them, to know they're okay, they matter more than anything. And with our own kids, our own kids' school here, um, the teachers have set up um, little sort of two-way calls between two of the children to try and encourage them. They're new to town. They want them to meet people. You know, it's those kinds of things which seem silly, they seem ephemeral, but actually they are, they make a massive difference. Um, uh, just being able to see somebody say, are you okay? Even if it's fleeting, even if it's brief, it's just a reminder, just, just even in the, in the example, in that experiment I, I shared with you about the library, um, even though that touch was fleeting, students didn't even remember it. It's a reminder that decisions to trust are rapid, they're unconscious, and they draw on all sorts of sources we often forget. So making sure there is many of those opportunities from a school to home is so important right now yeah i know that it's um the the differences are so important for kids too isn't it you know we've got uh, a couple of twins who are 11 and our seven-year-old hadn't really had any zoom calls with his teacher in uh, mm. you know last term but uh, for this term he was going to have a lot more zoom calls and i'm not joking uh it, you know he's all right with school but you know school school and doesn't really you know he'd much rather sort of sit in bed or get up and play with his lego or something um, sure he, he was he had his clothes ready uh laid out two days before so he could jump up as soon as it's there uh, put his clothes on and get ready for the zoom call he was mm. so excited to just have that face-to-face -face contact um, that he was jumping around the room just so excited about it because um, he, he had this moment. He was going to be a bit of a big boy and, and have this moment, have more connection that he had as he, as he went through. And, um, you yeah. know, it's remarkable the differences, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And, and you know what, my kids are the same. Both of them, we've been down to the uniform shop thinking that they might, you know, school might open. And there they were last Monday, the pair of them, you know, my wife and I got up and there they were, both of them, head oh. to toe, ties, you know, skirt, long skirts, they were in full uniform, ready to go. They were so excited. And, you know, and, and it's a sign they were just craving to be in the physical building of school. Um, and so that window open, even though it was just that narrow, narrow bandwidth of a Zoom call, um, yeah, made it, you know, it, it changes a mindset, changes an attitude toward the, the people you're about to meet with. And it clearly means a lot to children right now. Yeah. yeah. Uh, Dr. Rob Lowe is my guest. We're going to be speaking to him more about relationships and relational uh, understanding together. We uh, might even expand it a little bit with some of the work that he's done. You know, we're hearing people refusing to wear masks in Bunnings and all sorts of places. Uh, what is the right of relationship? What's the point of it? Why, what and how do we go about this? Uh, your questions as well on 0428 899 here on 89.9 The Light. In conversation with Clayton. 89.9 The Light. It is positive radio indeed. And you're in community conversation with Clayton. Dr. Rob Lowe is my guest. He, he's worked with Relationship Foundation, also setting up relational schools and currently out in Australia and uh, working now with Christian Schools Australia as well. Um, some more practical tips, uh, Rob, and we do want to sort of then uh, broaden it out to a little bit of a, a wider understanding of the value of relationships in a moment. But just first, some practical things for parents you know as they hit the ground running again tomorrow they're doing school at home are there things that they could be doing that uh, you've picked up and learnt that are going to help them and their kids yeah sure so um i think the most important thing is that you know whatever stage um your your child is at i mean your the schools are, are doing a phenomenal job um in in providing work some of that work you'll be able to help with some you won't um but i don't think you should beat yourself up about that the most important 
um, thing to remember, given that internationally we know that the key struggle that parents have had is motivating young people to engage their learning. Um, so the key thing that I'd advise is Israel's structure to the day and try and break that day up. Schools do it for a reason. They don't do it so teachers can have a break. They do it so children can have a break. Um, they build in physical and proper physical exercise into a day, um, not because um, they want to tackle, um, you know, national obesity, whilst that would be a worthy aim, they do it because um, we know that having vigorous exercise both increases our endorphins and it helps our brains function better. So starting off the day, um, you know, with some kind of activity or at least in the middle of the day, one period. And, and, and my wife and I, what we do is we really look at the weather forecast to see when it's going to be good. So if it's sunny in the morning, it's going to be rain in the afternoon, we get that activity done early. If it's going to be a really lovely late um, sort of, um, you know, sunset, then we, we save our activity to the end of the day. But building those breaks, allow the children to get bored of what they're doing, um, but build in that structure. Don't expect too much. Um, try and build in some other activities into that day as well, whether it be self-directed learning. So some autonomy is really good as well. Um, and try to build in some things that they can do every day by themselves, such as reading and hearing children read and having them read to you or reading to them as well. All absolutely fantastic, particularly for younger children. Um, and if they're really young, that structured play, not just thinking that they're going to play with anything, but but setting out something that's perhaps themed. Um, so one of the things that we borrowed um, recently was um, this fantastic wooden toy, and there'll be other ones, but we, we borrowed something called Plank, you know, a couple of hundred blocks of wood. But I tried to theme it, so one day it was on bridges, the next day it's on towers, then it's on marble runs. You know, try and theme the learning as well. But this, you know, obviously we're not trying to, you know, grow nuclear physicists right now. What we're trying to do is encourage application um, and dedication to little tasks and chunk them down and stick with them. Um, if you're two-parent family, try and switch in and out where possible. Try and, you know, build that um, variety into the day as well for the young people um, and try and limit tablet time, limit screen as much as possible, only where necessary. Um, yeah, just try and mm. just try and keep it as real and face to face if you can. Hope that's practical advice enough. Yeah, it's fantastic. Um, in the last couple of minutes we have, let, let's move for, to a slightly different topic. You know, we've had people uh, in this the last little while um, saying, "Look, I, in terms of relationship, I have a right to to do what I want. You know, a human right to not wear a mask or whatever else it mm. might be." I'm wondering how much this actually pushes into any relational understanding that, you know, obviously with masks up, it does feel like there's a barrier to us. Um, have you given it much thought to, to that at this point as well uh, around this idea that um, do we actually have relational rights that we need to, to hold on to during this time? Yeah, so uh, it, it, indeed. Um, so you'll be making reference, I imagine, to um, the lady in Bunnings today who um, who who quoted the 1948 Charter of Human Rights um, discriminated against men and women and said, um, you know, that she had a right as a living woman to do whatever she wanted. Um, and, I mean, to be clear, that you know, human rights law, as it emerged out after the Second World War, has, has served an important purpose in protecting uh, individual from power of state. It's changed the mindset, um, you know, of, of, of populations all around the world as we moved away from sort of totalitarian authority. 
Um, but if you think about this biblically as relational thinking tries to do, well, the Bible never really speaks of human rights and with the meaning that's currently afforded to it. Um, the focus of the language is, is usually on obligations rather than rights. Um, so the Old Testament, the prophets, they, they didn't address the poor and tell them to insist on their rights. What they did instead was to address the rich and the powerful and require them to fulfill their obligations and to look out to those who were really needy. So, so what's the difference here? If you think about this as, as not a rights-based approach, but an obligations-based approach, what are relational rights? How might we think about this differently relationally? Well, the foundation of relational rights is the view that, that identity and well-being of individuals is, is derived from relationships with other people rather than being inherent in the autonomy of the individual. Um, and that can and should be set against, I think, a liberal view which sees the individual as defined um, through personal freedoms, um, which is often and interestingly, you know, that resulted in a in a real Barney in a store today. Police had to intervene in the end. But, you know, that's framed negatively as rights protecting the person from abuse rather than a different view, which says, you know, there's a bunch of people around us and we have obligation to them. And, and that should take precedence, or at least it should take equal balance when we're thinking about my rights compared to others. Um, so relational rights are, have to be granted to an individual by the community generally, but only after the relational impact on the third parties has been formally assessed and taken into account. So why should we demand people wear masks? Well, obviously, people have a medical exemption, then of course they should be um, exempt from wearing masks and, and they shouldn't be stigmatised from it either. But the reason I put a mask on when I go into Coles this morning was because I might be carrying the virus and asymptomatically don't know. So I have an obligation to the people around me and to the staff of that store to make sure I'm not giving them that virus and I need to be humble about that. So I think that's the difference between what I might consider to be a liberal individualistic view of human rights and a relational view which says, you know, I... I I owe you as a group because we're part of something we're doing together collectively. Yeah. Uh, wonderful. Thank you so much to, uh, you know, the amount of things we've covered in this hour, Rob, has been quite Indeed. remarkable. We, we thank you for your time. We thank you for the encouragement. We thank you for the inspiration and the different ways uh, we've thought about things as well. And we wish you and your family all the best as, you know, you've been here just for a, a month or so now. And, uh, you know, I, we, we promise you Melbourne is fantastic uh, when you're allowed out and about fully and you can enjoy all of it as well. So thank you so much for your time, Rob. Thanks so much for having me. Dr. Rob Lowe uh, is really special guest. It's been wonderful to have him here on In Conversation.